Absolutely. And, you know, like, you know, as I've grown into the person that I am, you know, I have had some some differences of opinion with my lifestyle choices, some of them, and what my parents would prefer that I be. But at the end of the day, it's, it's um, they've loved me and they have been there for me and supported me, like, enormously through the processes. And at the end of the day, they recognize it's my life and they respect that. I think the minute I stepped on a practice field for rugby, the calling happened. Uh, an eight-year plan to be on the team. And I was in it within two years. Don't wait until you are a pro to be a pro, right? Like, I like doing something, look, stopping and learning from it. Like, it just looked like it was a heavy hit. If it's up, it's not up. You know, that's the first time I played, like, professionally. I'm making rugby money. How can I make money outside of it? And those two Scottish guys, and they said, oh, you're, um, you're here for the movie. Rugby is a sport where that's often coupled with actually having a good time. He looked at me and he said, you guys are off. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another great episode of Grow Rugby. My name is Gift Gift Tommy Bailu, and this is a show where we speak to people about the opportunities they have found, created, or taken advantage of via rugby. Yes, yes, I am back from Mexico, so hence everything becomes late and off time, but we're going to get there. But unfortunately, as a result, we have a little bit of a guest, little delay. You know, we had Squid, we had uh, uh, Robbie Owen, Squid Rugby last week, and, you know, now we got a little bit of a break, and I have to come back. But as a result, though, you're lucky, I got throwbacks. And I'm going to hit you guys with a throwback, and this was one of the great ones uh, we did with Phaedra Knight. It was a few years back, still relevant, more so because of knowing who she is and how far she's come in this time with uh, PSK Collective, if you guys don't already know, World Rugby Hall of Famer, um, PSK Collective founder, uh, HBCU alumni, uh, USA Rugby great and now Hall of Famer, ironically, after the World Rugby Hall of Famer, when it definitely should have been before, but, um, you know, whatever, semantics and all that good stuff. Uh, and, and just a speaker, uh, uh, just multi-talented athlete coming straight off of self-development and, uh, you know, big supporter HBCU Rugby Classic in the realest way. So I uh, wanted to actually, I've been wanting to post this one up for a minute, but, you know, sometimes you just don't get the opportunity to do what you want to until uh, everything calls for it. So um, this is a great interview. Um I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, again, this is back in It's actually one of the earliest times of me really getting to know Phaedra at her best. And, uh, yeah, you guys are going to like this one. Uh, if you guys don't know the backstory, uh, the real backstory, then uh, this one will be able to do it. And if you do know it, then you guys get to have a nostalgic comparison. Because I think at this time, she was just getting ready to start coaching. And uh, this is just before everything just started blowing up with her. She was doing NBC and everything like that. So, um, guys, I hope you guys enjoy it. Please, of course, I forgot to tell you, please don't forget to subscribe. Uh, hit that like button. Throw the notification. If you're listening on the podcast, definitely subscribe on to and tell your friends a little bit about this because I appreciate it. And if you could, please leave a comment. 
on Apple Podcasts. I don't think you can do it on Spotify or literally anywhere else that you guys can put it, but definitely at least Apple Podcasts because it helps with credibility, and I want to be able to keep bringing you guys more and more stuff, especially as the Olympics is coming up. So I hope you guys enjoy this. I know you're going to love it. The legend, the GOAT, a friend, and definitely uh, one of the biggest supporters of rugby out here, Phaedra S. Knight. Well, Phaedra, one, again, I want to say thank you. I know, again, you're busy with your your multiple lives that you have going on, by the oh my way. God. It's insane. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me, but I'm, it's like an addiction. I have to be completely like inundated with stuff in order to feel like a human being. So look, it's that weird point where it's like, like, do you have space? Yes. No, this isn't right. All right. We need it. We need to fill it up. We got to We got to put the sand in there. Take right? it off. <laughs> so true. So true. <laughs> so, you know, kind of just, you know, starting off, you know, what, how did you get started with rugby? I know this is well known, but for me, it's, it's still been little bits and pieces. So how, how did you get started with rugby? So my love for football and the contact game started when I was a kid. I was, I was actually fifth, uh, five years old, and I, um, I would see like the midget league football players playing football, and my sister was a cheerleader. She's four years older than me, mm-hmm. and so I there was at that time I lived in rural Georgia. Girls weren't really allowed. It wasn't socially acceptable for girls to play football with the boys, Um, certainly not in any organized league. And so um, I decided I'd be a cheerleader. I was the biggest tomboy you could imagine. But I decided, you know what, I'll be a cheerleader, and then maybe I can play football sometimes. You know, they'll let me come out on the field. Well, that never happened. But what did happen was at the end of season uh, football like party, um, I got a chance to play football with the boys because it was just kind of an open, you know, open thing. And I ran all over them. Like, it was crazy. I was the fastest one there, ran all over them, or one of the fastest ones there. And so my obsession with actually playing contact football started as a kid. And um, I continued on. I, I ended up finding basketball as my, like, my first love. Um, so I played basketball. I continued on. Um, I had a next door neighbor named JP. He was four years older than me too. And so I would like, he was such a good sport because I would like go down and ask JP to play with me for two hours. And his mom would make him um, just to get him out of the house. So and when I was in fifth grade and he was in, in ninth, um, actually, he was eight, yeah, he was in ninth grade. Um, oh wow! So he was like really older. Like it wasn't even like a little bit. He was he was he was your sister's age then, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He and my sister were in the same grade. So when I was in fifth grade, he was in ninth grade. I said, "Hey, let's play football." So we went out. We played tackle football, and I tackled him so hard um, this day he broke his arm. Oh man! So he never lived it down. Um, still doesn't. And <laughs> I knew at that point, okay, I should probably do something with this. But it was always basketball uh, until I got to law school. And when I got to law school, University of Wisconsin, 
I was actually, I, I, I didn't play basketball in undergraduate college, but I wanted to, you know, I wanted to re, um, reacquaint myself with team sports. And so law school is such a, a you know, like, like medical school, it's just a very rigorous and hard thing. And right. so I needed a balance. And so uh, during my second uh, semester, my first year, I decided, you know what, I'm going to train. I have a year of eligibility in CAA. Uh, varsity eligibility left. I'm going to train and walk onto the Badgers basketball team. I'm strong. I'm, you know, I'm stronger than I was. I'm quick. I can, you know, I think I can do it. So I started training and I ended up hurting and met a lady who played rugby, you know, and by the way, I'd never even heard of rugby, didn't know what rugby was, but she, she introduced herself and said, Hey, you know, you look athletic would you be interested in playing rugby? And I'm like, what is rugby? She's like, it's like football with no pads. And I'm like, <laughs> this could be interesting. So I ended up like haphazardly uh, the next week. She told me where they practiced, and I was in the area. I just happened to be in the area, decided I'd stop by, and I just jumped into a practice, and I fell in love with it. And from that point on, you know, it was rugby and, you know, basketball, what? So, yeah, I ended up falling in love with it and playing. And this was the Wisconsin women's rugby team that I ended up playing with. So, yeah. That's awesome. You know, it's funny because, you know, especially within football, it always seems to be like essentially like the main few states that consistently always have great athletes. You have Florida with the speed athletes. You have California with the throwers. You have Georgia with all the runners. And then you have Louisiana. And so it's hilarious that, you know, you being a Georgian and being able to be that athletic, it just seems natural. Now, was is, is now is sports something that has been a component of your family? I know you said your sister was a cheerleader, but were your parents uh, athletes as well, too? It's funny. My dad was an athlete. My, I had an uncle who was a really good basketball player, and so I think I derived my talent from him. And I would always, um, I'd spent like even as a like I grew up on a farm, so I grew up working, so I knew like I, I knew what hard work was. So that component I had pretty much down packed from from growing up my environment, right? Um, I, I, you know, again, I was the polar opposite of my sister. So she was very, like, in the house, wasn't really athletic. She did cheerleading, but it was very brief. And I was, like, outside driving tractors at age five with my dad. You know, I love basketball. I watched, like, I grew up on the L.A. Lakers, James Worthy, Magic Johnson, you know, A.C. Green, Larry Bird, Kevin McHale. So I grew up watching basketball. And I watched a lot, and I was I was very athletic. I watched, and then I take what I watch out to the court. Right. My dad had built me a makeshift basketball court in one of our um, pea fields. We had we grew peas, and so he put a field, he put a, a goal up at the end of one, and he gave me that space to uh, create a basketball court. So I went out pretty much every day, shot the hoops, watched, and so I learned. You know, by watching it professionals and then coming back and putting it to action on the court. But I played a lot by myself. Right. My, my uncle would play with me, you know, when he when he could, when he had time. My dad was, a, you know, I think he played baseball a little bit in high school, and he was a golfer. Mm-hmm. He actually had the ability, if he had, had taken it seriously, to probably have gone pro. He was good. He was pretty good. Um, 
my mother wasn't much of an athlete, but and as she, you know, like oh, she was like kind of a late bloomer. Mm-hmm. I think when she was probably in her late thirties, early forties, she took up running. She started like jogging, and now at age sixty nine. She like runs eight or eight to ten miles a day, five days a week. That's insane. And she and, and she would have she would she was doing it six days a week until I encouraged her and talked to her about the power and importance of recovery. Right. So so she 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 reduced it to like just five days a week. But that there, my dad was pretty athletic. My mom was you know a late bloomer and a hard worker. Um, but I, I think I got, you know, I got my genetics from probably somewhere else. My dad, maybe. Um, and, uh, um, just, yeah, I just, I'm just very dedicated and I'm resilient. I'm just used to working hard. And so when I put my mind to something, I just do it. So I don't know if it's that I'm so talented, but I have a good work ethic. And so... I mean, it sounds like, again, it, it, there's such an organic inclination. I mean, just by the factor of being working on a farm, and we know, you know, a lot of people know, uh, definitely living here in Louisiana, you learn uh, yeah. that that there's just being on a farm is, honest to God, one of the hardest things I've seen. I remember when I used to live in Iowa, and they used to have us try and uh, um, pull the stalks off of corn. Uh, as a job and that was like the worst thing I mean just terrible for the hand and the body and then you're doing it at like 13 14 years old you're like why why am I doing this for this below minimum wage but I don't know better because I just want money but you just it's it's that process and then doing it in Georgia heat (laughs) yes so we would gather vegetables I mean gathering season for like peas butter beans okra um, and even corn was when when the heat was at its highest, right? So we'd wake up at 5 a.m. pretty much every weekday morning, and I had my older sister and I. My dad and my mom were leaders by example, so they would join us. So it wasn't like they just had us go out. And they created this farm environment. I mean, my dad was just a jack-of-all-trades, so he enjoyed farming. He was college-educated and did other things. He was, in, he was an insurance salesman. But he, he really enjoyed that, and they wanted to create a way for us to learn, like, real work ethic. They grew up, you know, in a time where my mom picked cotton. You know, her dad was a farmer in South Georgia, and my dad's father, you know, farmed, farmed a lot, lived on farmland. And so he grew up working hard like that. So they wanted to instill in us that work ethic, but also push us to go to college and be independent women. And so, you know, you're right. Like it was just, it was hot. It was hard work, um, you know, but we didn't know any different. That's all we knew. And we knew that we were very different from the other kids in school because the other kids in school didn't do what we did. But, you know, I never really, I didn't, I mean, we would complain about it sometimes, but it wasn't so, like, it wasn't like we knew any other life. And so we learned to accept it as being a part of what we did every summer. And, you know, I'm so grateful that we had that experience because, you know, it's given me, like I said, the work ethic, you know, to, to, to be in it, to be resilient, to endure until I find that successful like threshold right and so yeah it's pretty I think it's been pretty significant no no and I think that makes sense so you know you've you've gone through Alabama and and and, because you went to Alabama State correct 
Yes. All right. So, and then ended up finding yourself in Wisconsin where you started playing rugby. Now, what what was uh, what was that first experience? Well, not so much the first experience, but what was that first ex- that initial experience of uh, playing with the women in that uh, in comparison to what you had been doing in high school and I'm assuming in the small little pickup games because uh, I, I would assume that dynamically, you know, what you were getting below the Mason-Dixon line significantly differed than what you were getting um, in in Wisconsin. What was that? What was that feeling like? I mean, it was so. I mean, it was like such a dichotomy. It was extremely different. I mean, I'm going from Alabama State University, which is an historically black college, right, in a very warm climate, to an extremely white school. You know, about you know, maybe 10% minority or less, um, in a very cold climate. So. You know, it's, it's, I guess it's like the story of my life. It was a tale of two extremes um, and quite a, quite a difference, right? I'm also going from the South, which is traditionally pretty conservative. And I'm going into an environment pretty, like, although Wisconsin, uh, the state of Wisconsin is not necessarily a very liberal and progressive state. The city of Madison, Wisconsin is pretty progressive. And so I'm going from an extremely conservative, you know, living uh, environment um, and, and, and area of the country to a very progressive one. And so I initially, you know, I've always embraced different. There's always, I think, you know, I, I was born with that, knowing that I wasn't like the people necessarily like that I was around and that I wanted to explore and, and experience the world and different cultures and different everything, right? And so I embraced it eventually. It's, it, you know, it was a little bit in my comfort zone to start, but I embraced it. And I didn't discover rugby until the second semester of, of, college, of, of law school. But, you know, when I, when I met these, this team, it was just so different. And I didn't quite know what made it so different, but, I knew, but, but what I did feel was included. I felt a sense of inclusion. It didn't matter that I was African American. It didn't matter that I, you know, lifted weights and liked mu- liked having muscles as a as a female. It didn't matter, you know, anything. And it it was that inclusive, you know, quality that really drew me to rugby. That drew me to Wisconsin women, you know. And so. Um, yeah, and 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 and, and it's, it was it was probably it was the my biggest exposure, honestly, to like diversity and sexuality, and um, that too was like it was really cool because I had never been in an environment where you know sexual orientation was so liberal and so no matter it didn't matter what you were you were accepted, and so that was cool. Um, within itself and it it actually made me more comfortable to kind of be and and explore you know my own sexuality and who I really you know who I who I am and who I was and so um it was just that again that overall acceptance and acceptance and inclusion that were just so powerful um and um that that just that was amazing Hey guys, 
I just want to take a quick moment to talk to you about the Rugby Outlet Mall. Now, I know you guys have heard me talk about this many times in the show before, typically in the intro, but I wanted to really make sure to get your focus on it because the Rugby Outlet Mall is not just the commerce hub for Gift Time Rugby, but it is an area where we want to be able to create the movement and the symbolic elements that add to the movement. The Rugby Outlet Mall is here so that we can have something that not just to have for the field, but more importantly to be able to have as a regular lifestyle. Because as you know, rugby is not just a sport. It's a whole way of life. It is a movement. And we have everything moving from cultural to your pop culture items, like our Rugby Zon shirts or, and sweaters, uh, sweaters, as well as representing for the culture as we continue to develop the HBCU Rugby Classic. And we want to continue to support these things because it only grows the sport overall. We are continually growing to be able to make sure that we are connecting with you on a personal level as well as a rugby level. And for you guys that are listening to the podcast and listening to this show, want to let you know that you are going to get 20% off all gear that is under the category of Gift Time Rugby Network and the HBCU Rugby Classic. That is basically the entire store. And all you need to use is promo code GROWRUGBY, G-R-E-A-U-X RUGBY. And with that, you guys will get 20% off any clothing that is in the store as of right now. And of course, we're always building up more and more each time. But we want to make sure that you are able to symbolize your rugby faithfulness to the rest of the world and let them know that there is an opportunity to be able to develop, to grow, and to get better each and every time in this sport. So guys, I hope you guys check it out. Definitely go, and you guys can go to www.rugbyoutletmall.com. That is rugbyoutletmall.com. Dot com. Guys, you're not going to want to miss one bit of this. Now let's get back to it. It was just amazing. And I can, I can believe it because I know, you know, with, you know, whenever you start that, that suffocating feeling, well, I, I guess the word suffocating because I don't know if you always realize it until you realize that there's something different. That's it. You yeah. don't know any different. So growing up in the South and always being exposed, I, although I knew, like, you know, my family, my, my parents were very, um, they were very strong in the church and Christian. And so I would frequently get in debates as a, like a little girl with them, you know, about religion even, about this whole idea of, you know, there being from for for them, you know, they they believe, you know, in Jesus Christ, and that's great, and but they believe that that's the only way. And I always thought, I'm like, but there's so many people in this world. How is that the only way when there's so many different people in this world? I, I can't think that this God has created one way, and there are all these other people in the world that aren't really like firsthand exposed to it you know and and even the same with like my father I was just I was just so progressive where you know during those times it was just so normal for women not to be equals it was so normal for men to talk about women in a derogative derogatory way and he would do that and I would stand up for it you know we would get into these debates and he he totally it wasn't that he was I think he was just talking, he was saying things that he had learned, right? This is all stuff he's heard as a kid, and he grows up in that environment. What was really cool is that my parents, 
Although, I, although I say I lived in the South and it was conservative and not as inclusive, my family, my parents accepted me, and I was very different. I was not like my sister. I always kind of uh, danced to the beat of my own drum, which was very different from a lot of kids around me, and they accepted it. It was very normal. So, although they were very like set in their ways in some sense, they they let me be for the most part who I was, who I was, and who I wanted to be. And um, again, I'd get into these debates with my dad about feminism, you know, and he would allow for it, right? right. My parents were extremely strict, but they allow for me to, and my sister, if she wanted to, to explore those 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 themes of, you know, those political themes and those intellectual themes. They didn't really uh, fight us on that. They let us be that. And so mad props to them for being products of such an environment, right. but still within themselves being able to allow for that freedom and that expression. So, I mean, it makes sense. You know, it, it, in the, it looks like in the work that they're trying to do to create these ind strong, independent women, the only way you can do it, and especially if you know that environment that happens, you know, in the 60s, 50s, 40s, right. and you're like, okay, well, you know what? I, I can either fight my daughters and say you know you need to stick within this box and we're just repeating what we have before or i say you guys need to be strong and then i have to let them actually have a mind exactly that's you know? it yeah so that's, that's that's awesome and i know that it definitely helps especially in in terms of personal growth too because yes you know it, it there's nothing more it, it's already a, a, a battle enough to be able to say all right let me let me discover myself let me learn what i'm trying to do yeah. and then also have to battle on the back end the one foundational support that you've had literally your own, whole entire life absolutely and, you know like you know as i've grown into the person that i am you know i have had some some differences of opinion with my lifestyle choices some of them and what my parents would prefer that i be but at the end of the day, it's it's um, they've loved me and they have been there for me and supported me like enormously through the processes. And at the end of the day, they recognize it's my life right. and they respect that. And they, like I said, we don't always see eye to eye, but I don't see eye to eye to with, with, with my best friends, with the closest people in my life. And that's what makes the world such a beautiful place. The diversity of thought, the diversity of feelings, the diversity of, of how we live our lives. And so it's okay. It's okay to not agree. It's okay to agree to disagree, you know? I feel like by the nature of you being a lawyer, you naturally have to be resistant to people anyways. Sure. So, I mean, it's like, it's natural. Like, if you weren't, if you were agreeing with more people than not, I feel like, yeah, you might not be in the right <laughs> profession right now. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, kind of backtracking a little bit, um, and it's something off of you, that you mentioned. So, you, looking at some of the older YouTube videos, some older pictures, uh, you were a beast mode power lifter, bodybuilder, whatever. Like, I, I remember looking, I'm like, all right, yeah, I'm never going to be able to get to that point in my life. <laughs> and I'm jealous, but I was like, but it, it sounds like that was something that you, was that something that's always had been natural? Did you always have a very muscular build or was it something that came during your time at Alabama State? Not, you know, I was always an athlete, so I guess on some level, I'd always had kind of broad shoulders for my height. Um, and then when I got to law school, I'm sorry, when I when I attended Alabama State, um, 
I, I put away athletics. I was I started working out a bit, you know, and so I got into a little bit of resistance training while I was there. Um, but by the I think my third year of undergrad, I was introduced to bodybuilding, and that was my first exposure to like really working out. And it's interesting because all I wanted to do was go in the gym and lift it, right? Like I, that's that's I had so I think I had so much. First, I had so much anger from growing up, although I grew up in a, with two absolute, you know, parents that I love so much and would do anything for. It was a tough childhood. We grew up in some pretty rough um, circumstances, my sister and I. And so I had a lot of, I harbored a lot of anger. So all I wanted to do was go in the gym and lift it. But I, my first exposure to, to working out was with the bodybuilder. And so he kind of took me under his wing and bodybuilding lifting is a lot different from powerlifting, obviously. Right. So I started doing bodybuilding. I think I did my first competition, maybe during my senior year, maybe junior year of college. And, you know, it was just my first exposure to dieting, to uh, eating, like I, ate, I always ate decent, I guess. But it was like the first that was my initial start to like really being aware and conscious about how I eat. Mm -hmm. And so I did a bodybuilding competition and I, I did I never did anything beyond amateur because anything beyond amateur, particularly for especially for women and for that industry, it's it requires the use of. You know, of, of unnatural additional sources. Yeah, unnatural. <laughs> we don't we don't want to throw anybody under the bus, yeah. but you know, it, it was it wasn't uh, always so organic. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that wasn't I didn't that wasn't a, a road I wanted to go down. Yeah. But I really like lifting weights, and what bodybuilding allowed me, or what, what it was, was kind of a gateway for me to go in and lift the gym. And so I did that for a couple years, and I really didn't like it because I I felt like. It, it was again, it was for me, it was this battle of who I really was versus who I had been socialized to be and how ladies were to be, right? Like how ladies in the South were expected to act right. and girls or ladies weren't necessarily supposed to go in the gym and lift heavy weight. Ladies weren't supposed to have really, really big muscles unless they were bodybuilders and those were just freaks. So, so, um, I started, when I left, uh, when I finished up undergrad, I really got into uh, lifting weights. Like I went, I was, I got, I was strong. I mean, I could, I remember when I was, um, even after law school, I would go in the gym and throw four plates on each side and do box squats. Like I was, and for reps, like I was, I reached a point where I, I, just wanted to lift weights and I, all it was honestly the fuel that lit my fire was all this all this anger I had from being a kid and it was just I just circumvented it to lifting weights you know and I, you know at that point even before like you know graduating law school um, I, I lifted weights I started playing rugby and that that allowed like for uh, release. Perfect, a tremendous amount perfect of storm of, of energy release to be perfect. there. Perfect. So, so yeah, like I love lifting weights. I didn't really, and I look back at some pictures, especially when I was in uh, Wisconsin, when my hair was like short, I was just kind of growing to myself. 
I was I, there were there were so many occasions when I would walk into a women's restroom in the airport and get chased down by security because they thought I was a guy. Wow. Like I was that massive. Wow. I was I four. I was 185 pounds. I looked like a linebacker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm but, sure you hit like one too on the rugby pitch. But <laughs> But I didn't even. I didn't. I never cared about how I looked. I, yeah. I look back and I'm like, whoa. I was. I was a little scary. But I just at that stage in my life, yo, know, I was just working it out. Right. I was working out. I was having fun, but I was working out a lot of stuff. And so. As I, you know, as I like contoured into, you know, uh, more of a, a, a more, I guess, become, I became a little bit more sophisticated as a rugby player. Um, you know, as you get older, you, you got to kind of step away from the weight sometimes. And so, or at least minimize. So as I got older, once I hit like my third World Cup, uh, I wasn't in the gym lifting or trying to lift, you know, 400 pounds on my back. Right. So. That, that thing started to slow. But, yeah, I was just naturally really strong and and had a lot of, you know, like pent-up aggression that I just needed to release. So there I mean, you go. That, I mean, that, that, but that makes perfect sense. But because, I mean, look, again, we're, let's, let's highlight again. Country strong, okay? Georgia, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's in the water. <laughs> right? You know, so, like, I there's – I, I feel like, you know, probably for uh, the people whenever he got to Madison and, you know, even New York area or even when they're playing with the national team, everyone's like, oh, my God, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah people go down south, you're like, well, you know what? I yeah. mean, it's that grass-fedness. <laughs> you know, you have players now, like I look at, like, Hope Rogers, who's a really strong kid, and uh, and no disrespect by calling her a kid, but – She's young. She's young. She's young. She's it's young. okay. You've earned your place. <laughs> she's talented and young, yeah. but she's strong. And I look at like Jamelia uh, Jam. We call her Jam Reinhardt. Um, ridiculously strong too. You know, and I look at these players and I love, I love them because I love, it's almost, I look back and it's like, God, you know, that was, these are two props and this is how my path started. And, you know, I just, I want to be, I want to like talk to them. I want to like give them these ways of how, you know, of give them indicators and ways of lessons of how they can sustain their strength and how they should best, like, do this and that. So I look at these these younger players, and I, it, it, it actually makes me really proud that, you know, they're carrying on that that legacy, but that having the, an advantage of being really strong in rugby, it's, it's tremendous. And that's really uh, what I predicated a lot of my career on is that I was just stronger than a lot of the players I went up against, and I just overpowered them. I had a lot of aggression, and I had no fear. You know, I, I again, I grew up in kind of a kind of a violent situation, and so I didn't have a lot of fear for you know anything and anyone. So it, it was a perfect, like you said, it was a perfect storm: rugby, weightlifting, and and advancing in that. Oh, that's awesome. So, uh, kind of moving forward, you know, how, so what, what was the process? How did you get from Madison women and to being on the national team? And then obviously, you know, where your, your, your rugby legacy has kind of like fully kicked in. Yeah. So I, you know, I had no idea until probably 98 that there was a national team. So I'm playing with me, uh, with, with, uh, Wisconsin and I'm just, you know, enjoying having fun. And I was very competitive, but um, I didn't. I wasn't like um, I was just playing to be the best that I could be. Right. 
just just to be the best that I could be because that's what I've always done. And when I caught wind of there being a national team and that there was some interest from the national team's coaches in me, then I started, you know, I stepped it up even another bit, uh, you know, stepped it up a bit. Um, and so I, I played on, you know, I made various select side teams. I made the Midwest select side. And we would go down to, at that time, I think ITTs was what we used uh, instead of NASC. It was called ITTs, and we'd go to ITTs. It was in Florida at the time, and we'd play. And from there, the national team coaches would select uh, players to invite to national camp. And I had broken my leg in 1998 and um, broke my ankle like a, a terrible dislocation. So I knew that the, the national team selectors, I was on their radar, I broke my leg in the summer of 98 playing with the Twin City Amazons and I had to have surgery and the doctors told me that I probably would never play rugby again. It was such a tremendous like break. Um, I had to have, you know, I was, it was, it was crazy. Um, so it was a, a lot of extensive ligament damage. They told me I wouldn't play. I didn't even listen. I mean, I didn't even hear that. All I knew was that I had been invited to camp for, or I'd been invited to ITTs and that the national team coaches wanted to see me there so that they could decide if they wanted to invite me to national camp. And so my whole goal from like August until December was to heal up and get better. So I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a wheel. I'm at the gym. I mean, I literally was squatting and this is not smart, but this was my determination. <laughs> I'm broken in a cast. I'm in the gym in a wheelchair, you know, rolling around cause it was an efficient way to get around. Um, I mean, I had to have like surgery. I was told to elevate. I was told that I couldn't be, you know, I shouldn't be doing anything for like three weeks. Yeah. So I'm in the gym the day after I got discharged from the hospital, bench pressing, getting my upper body strength up. And then as soon as they moved me into a walking boot, I started squatting. Wow. I started squatting. You waste so, no time. God. I waste no time. And I'm like, of course I'm going against doctor's orders. But <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm going to feel it out, see how it is. I still had still had stitches, you know. So I think I had stitches at that point. So anyway, I was just determined that I wanted to make this U.S. team, that I needed to be at least able to play a half in Florida. I didn't get cleared. I mean, they, you know, again, like I went down. I, I, they were like, you're not ready. I was doing PT. But I really wasn't ready. I was limping a bit, but I was determined. And so, you know, I, I, the coach put me in for a half. He's like, okay, we're going to see. I'm going to put you in for a half, let you run around a little bit. At that time, I was playing in the centers. Right. So it wasn't like I had to deal with a scrum front row or anything. Right. So no direct, I, There's no major consistent direct contact that you're exactly. going into each summer. I was, I was just running around and tackling a bit. And so I made a favorable impression enough to get an invite to camp. So I took about, you know, two or three weeks off to really, like, let my ankle heal up and um, started training again and went to national camp, and it was that was it. I got invited um, to the next international match, which, hap which happened to be uh, Can-Ams mm -hmm. up in Saranac Lake and um, got my first cap there. So it was uh, – it was my career has been just colored with adversity, you know, and – you think you look at okay, you played in three World Cups. Now you're going for your fourth. Wow, what a great career! Yeah, it's been a really great career. But what made the career great wasn't going to the World Cups. 
it was the thing, it was the journey to get to those places because they were always filled with challenge, adversity. It was nothing ever easy, you know. And any anyone who has who's played on a national team can tell you that. So, you know, it's a lot of hard work, a lot of determination. But yeah, I made it. So if I made it to the national team with a with a very bummed ankle, I was determined that it was going to take a a hell of a lot to take me out. Hey everybody, this is just the Bray Train sending out a personal little video diary to all you people out there where I am going to document me riding most of the way between Singapore and Tokyo for the 2019 Rugby World Cup. Because number one is because um, it's part of my business, I do Rugby Lovers Guide to Asia. Number two is I want to bring a lot of exposure to the, to the rugby clubs and the rugby NGOs and charities. Also on a personal level, I just want to break uh, the funk I've kind of felt I've been into for the last 10 years. So for the next 12 months, I poured myself into the Singapore to Tokyo campaign, but it still wasn't enough. I needed help, and it came from Louisiana. We in Singapore, baby! Gift from Gift Time Rugby USA is a extroverted tour de force. Say hi to my people out there. Which makes up for my um social shortcomings. This place is unbelievable. It's not just it's like What's he supposed to do? Morons, a bunch of morons. Guys, picture with me. Picture. Australian. G'day mate. You can use my phone. But what unites us is a hunger for adventure. After KL, Kuala Lumpur. Baby. Our love of Asian rugby culture. One, two, three, set yeah. yeah. Rugby is, is starting to develop here in Cambodia for women as well. Valkyries, the mighty, mighty Valkyries. And allows us to overcome incredible, incredible obstacles. It's just got so thick. It's just so thick here. Now it's pouring down rain again. But coming to this Thai-Cambodia border has renewed all the aggression. So the whole thing's gone buggered. I got hit. What? I got Thailanded by a motorbike. I can just feel that knee, that ankle just going in all the wrong directions under the weight of my body. But that doesn't compare to the pain of, of failure. I'm dying. Oh, I'm dying. And that's what I've been worried about this whole time. We're out here, we're running out of energy, we're running out of money, and we're feeling isolated. And yet at that critical moment, friends, family, sometimes complete strangers, come on board. Before you know it, we're back in the game. Tokyo, here we come. Making a comeback. Four weeks, 2,300 miles. Five countries! After all the trials and tribulations, this ride had become deeply personal. All that mattered now was getting to that Rugby World Cup game in Tokyo. Hey, buddy. All right. Be easy. Go check out redearthfilms.vhx.tv to get your copy of Singapore to Tokyo any way we can.
That's redearthfilms.vhx.tv. Right. Yeah, so. And no, and that makes sense. Again, it, it, it and, and I keep referring back, but I just love how much the, it refers back to that work ethic that you gained back at home. And yep. you know, you even even for that uh, for for going through that process. I mean, as crazy and dangerous to your body in the long term as that was, I, it's like the, the the constant grind was able to to, to keep moving. Sure. So, so you know, within that aspect, though, you know, we're talking women's rugby going into the '90s. So, just a just a quick impression. What what is the difference that has been since you started? Versus what you're seeing now, because you've had the oh, pleasure wow. of being able to just facilitate yourself in all the generational change in it. And right. I consider the rugby generation as a shorter gap than sure. normal generations. Absolutely. Oh, my God. The game has evolved, and it's no discredit to any of the athletes and teams I played against. It's always been hard at the national level, mm-hmm. right? But I think now your athletes are certainly they're faster, um, uh, you know, on average. They're stronger because everyone's doing strength and conditioning um, at that level in either a professional or semi-professional environment. Um, the, the game is, has now opened up and, and recruits um, crossover athletes. So you got track athletes. You got folks like Naya Tapper that are in the game who are just tremendous forces. One of my easily speed. favorite players to become one of the most underdogs since UNC. I remember whenever we, we saw her at UNC – uh, and I think one of my guys did an article on her, but I, I saw her at UNC and I was like, that is, that, there's that star process, you know? Like, there's that there person you that you know is going to be a star, and it's just like, it's just a matter of time. Absolutely, but, absolutely, you know? And even even players like Chris Thomas, you know, right, another exactly. underrated, tremendous Chetta Emba, like those back three, they're like a force to be I, reckoned with. Exactly. You know? In the, in the at least the 15s, they're all you know, like obviously uh, Chet is a prop in sevens, but those those players they are not. I mean, you know, and the players like I, I look at players like Ashley English, who was a force as fullback, mm-hmm. you know, during my time, even going back before me, like or Patty Jervy. Actually, I had the fortune of playing with her. Like you know, she's one of those players that you could have taken out and put her in any generation, and she would have just been incredible. Um, Jen Crawford, who a lot of players now don't know, who was just absolutely magical on the field, you know. But, uh, you know, it's it's taking players. There are certain players that are timeless and were timeless um, in their, you know, when, in their prime. But the game has certainly changed. It's, it's just stronger. It's so much faster. I mean, I, my first international match in, in, what, seven years was last week against Canada. And... You know, it, it always, even even between international matches when you're still playing international rugby, that transition period, you have to readjust to it. So right. it takes you, you know, a few minutes, even in the game, um, to reacclimate to that pace. So being seven years removed and going back into, like, what I call the lion's den, it was crazy, you know? <laughs> it was crazy. And so... I got a taste of it, and I was like, okay, I got to do some work, right? Like, I know that in order for me to earn a spot on this this World Cup team, I've got to be clinical. I've got to be just brilliant about the decisions I make about my training. I've got to be just on top of my sleep and recovery because um, if I'm not, 
I'm not going to make this team right. because I'm not going to be able to keep up with these players and be able to add value. And so I certainly think that, you know, it's it, the game has evolved tremendously. And um, these athletes that are out there now, you know, they just they have they have been provided with, you know, a lot more resources than the players in the 90s. You know, they just and that's a great thing. That's what the players in the 90s have pioneered to create for the players in 2017. And so it's that's is that life cycle, you know, um, but that's what it should be, right? That's how it should be. These players should be stronger, should be more athletic because they've been this 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 road that they've been provided with has been built on the backs of all those players from that 91 team, you know, and all those players, you know, in, in the U.S. club scene that have, you know, sacrificed and made rugby really what contributed to what rugby is today in this in this country and really in the world man and that i mean and that that makes sense i, I gotta ask you know when, when it comes to all the 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 national players I, I always you know in other sports you always feel like there's a club that goes along with it like there's there's a the, the fraternity of players like is there still that aspect from the team because again you have three for yourself at minimum three teams that you've been a part of plus the 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 two, three uh, uh, world rugby teams that came prior to when they, you know, have these coming up. Is there a connection that you guys have that you guys maintain consistently, or is it kind of just like, you know, we see you when we see you and kind of go from there? You mean the, 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 the generation now, how they interact? Is that what you're well, asking? Well, I'm talking about sure, across all the generations. So, like, um, gotcha. you, you know, like whenever they talk, like, Hall of Fame guys for football, you know, they right. the guys do their, their – you know, cookouts and stuff, and they have their own little meetings and gatherings. You know, gotcha. is there anything like that that connects the national teams together? You know, unfortunately, up to this point, there hasn't been. Um, I think that is something that many people want. Like when the when there is a the USA um, Rugby Trust has this dinner at. I think they had the last dinner was in Chicago. I think they had a yeah. There was a dinner. Um, and, and there were a number of alumni, Eagle alumni, uh, that showed up for this. Um, so there is an opportunity for that to happen at events like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep in touch, you know, with a number of uh, former Eagles that I have played with, and I've gotten to know a number of the men and male Eagles that I never knew, right? And I think there is a really strong desire for the Eagles to get to know each other because, you know, we've, we've done the same thing, male or female. We've gone through the same process. We've worked, we've dedicated, we've sacrificed. And so there is a, there is a sense of sorority or fraternity, brotherhood, sisterhood. It's just uh, there has never been a formal forum mm-hmm. to um, have that type of interaction. But I certainly think that's something that's desired, and I certainly think that's the direction that, um, and this is, might be a little bit of a, a teaser, that the U.S. Rugby Trust and uh, U.S. Rugby could, could possibly, you know, head up. Even, you know, with the newly formed Players Association and bringing in the alumni, I think that's a, that would be a tremendously powerful thing. Um, you know, as far as, like, club teams and the legacy of club teams, I think that a lot of clubs um, – they they have their old girls and old boys, right? Exactly. You know? So they they do have that culture. You know, they foster that culture very strongly. 
Yeah, and you know, and because it's always something that I've always thought. Because there's just such a you, you literally have a very small percentage of people who ever will have a chance to play on a national team, let alone being able to play in a rugby world cup. Like there's, there's only so much you can do, and there's only so many spots. So you know, regardless of what the the result of it is, that's that's there's a compart there's a there's a, a a bubble that's in that that you guys can only experience yourselves um right you know for you you know whenever you first got onto the national team you know what what was it what was the what was the feeling for you like because you know obviously you've always been like you mentioned before about the journey but you know you were able to go from this club level you know doing select teams and then finally got to essentially represent your country for for better or worse, you got to represent the country. Um, you know, what was that first moment that you got to whenever you played as a national team member? What what was that like? Well, looking through the lenses that I was looking at real time during that time, it was exciting. You know, I it was an un, like an un I'd never experienced anything like that. Right, so I'm sitting on top of the world. You know, I'm thinking, you know, God, I'm on the U.S. team. This is great. Um, and, and then my next thought is, you know, because I'm always thinking like a step or two ahead. Right. Well, how can we make rugby big? And so what what was what really resonated with me was, you know, number one, this is an honor and a privilege. This is amazing. You know, I feel so fortunate. But then it was like, and how can we take this to the next level? Like, how do we bring exposure, you know, to this sport? Um, how do we market it? How do we get players like me and some of the other teammates, you know, on, on, in Nike ads. So I was thinking like, how do you commercialize this? Yeah. How do we commercialize this, this bad boy? And so, um, you know, those were my thoughts then. Now I have a rare fortunate, like opportunity to be able to look at my life real time at that time. And also look back through the lens, through lenses from experience. Right. So, Looking back at myself as a 23 or 22 year old, um, I think, wow, you took that for granted, right? Oh, like that man. was an opportunity you took for granted because I, in looking back on how, on how I felt, I guess I was so focused. And 23 year that's what 20 year olds do, exactly. right? Exactly. Right? It's very, it's that ego, it's a really egocentric age um, where you're just focused on you, you're focused on what you have to do. Um, and um, and so and, 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 and it's like you, you think that, that the world revolves around you. Right. And and uh, and it's not a negative thing. It's just a it's a product of that age, and especially as an athlete, because you're all you're thinking about is all that you have to do to be the best you can be. And so looking back, you know, I think a lot about how, wow, I took so much for granted, um, and and. Um, you know, I just assumed that it was going to, not assumed, I worked hard for everything. But, you know, I always thought, wow, I always made teams, right? Like right. I was always one of the best players. Now, fast forward to my experience in being in the Olympic pool, um, training for the Olympics, being the oldest player, on, you know, to, to jump into that rat race as well. Um, and, and knowing going in that my chances were extremely slight to make the team, you know, being on that end of it, never getting selected um, uh, for to travel with the team, 
um, you know, not being like the top favorite, it really added some incredible perspective, you know, and it didn't necessarily feel good at the time, but it allowed me to be able to understand what players, when I was in my prime, who weren't selected, who had to like, you know, just work their, work their butts off, but still, for whatever reasons, weren't picked. Right. It gave me perspective to see, right, like, wow, this is what it's like. You know, and it, it kind of came full circle for me. And even now, with this team, with this World Cup team, you know, I'm, I'm going in on, in a position that I'm – hooker is probably the most technical position on the field. you got to throw, you got to strike, you got to be able to scrum. And the throw is so critical, right? Your selection is based on your ability to throw a high percentage ball. And it, you don't learn how to throw overnight. And so having uh, virtually seven or eight months to learn how to throw, in addition to being hey, having to keep up, I keep putting myself in these positions of just major challenge. Right. But what I get out of it is that, you know what, I want to challenge myself. And if I'm out of my league, then it'll show. But if I'm, you know, a contender in it, then I'm going to work and I'm going to push and I'm going to really, like, push the most out of myself. And in that process, I'm going to help someone else grow, too. I'm going to push the person above me and I'm going to definitely motivate the person that may not be at that level yet, like some youngster. So when I look at it now, I'm looking at it from that perspective. You know, I coach at Monroe College, so now that these – guys and soon to be girls and I'll be coaching know that I'm in the national pool and on the national team it's a different game for me it's like okay I'm playing for me but I know these kids are watching me right it makes it more real and so I have to be an example I have to teach them by virtue of the way that I play and teach them about how to deal with rejection how to deal with not making a team how to deal with not being selected as a starter and be able to deal with it with class and grace because I haven't always been able to do that. Right. When I would, when I would, when I wasn't selected to start, and then Kathy Flores, <laughs> I love her. She's one of my favorite. She's probably my favorite, one of my favorite coaches, right? And, um, and 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 a person that I respect so much. But you know, she would make tactical decisions about sometimes how she played me, you know, how she played anyone. And sometimes her tactical decisions would be to play me as a second-half player. And that made me crazy because I wanted to be started. I wanted right, to be one of the best. This is, where you, this is where you've naturally been at so right, long. Right, right. So I didn't take too well to that. And I didn't take too well to it with even, like, some of the Selexa teams I played. But, you know, that's a part of the process and you grow. And, you know, now I look at how I react when I'm, I'm like – I'm good with being a second half player now, right? Like I want to come in and make an impact, right? <laughs> Close um, the game out. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with that, right? And yeah, I'm good with starting too, right? I'm good with not having to play an entire game, whereas where I used to get really mad when a t- coach would take me out because I wanted to be on the field. But it just adds perspective for me, and um, and so uh, you know, it's 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 looking at those through those lenses real time as a very young player are very different now. Uh, the way I see the game and the way I see life as it should be, right. uh, looking at it through these older colored lenses. So. <laughs> you know, look, but that's 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 the pleasure of it. It's almost like taking a sec. It's a second journey, like you said. Yeah. You know, yeah. you've had this one journey, and let's for for all intents and purposes, 
it was a successful journey in terms of journey of doing the work and getting to the, achieving the goals. But now Absolutely. you have this next side where you get to now do the work and now you have to determine what are the goals that are being set ahead. Um, Absolutely. You know, so you being as, as as being set as an example, you know, there's 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 a lot of things that I you know for me in rugby I've always noticed that are very dynamic to to the growth. You know, I think one of the biggest ones has always been diversity in rugby. Um, I know specifically amongst my friends that are around here who are black and are pretty much not white. Uh, and there are some white, too, but pretty much not black. Whenever you ask to tell them, you're like, hey, I play rugby. They're like, oh, what? What is that first, you know, after they go, oh, is it the one with the sticks? And then you're like, no, it's the one that's football <laughs> and soccer all mixed together. Right. You know, you, you're like, oh, okay, so you're, you don't have any pads. You're crazy. Like, that's that's a crazy white boy sport, you know. Right. Um you know, as as a as a black athlete, and particularly one in a sport that has not that it's been exclusive to it, but has not been very um, embraced by the community. Do you feel that there's a responsibility that you have to be able to expand that out? Because as a woman who's playing athletically in alternative sport that people typically would not consider, since there's not really any women's contact sports, do you feel a responsibility of kind of having to put that mantle on because for what it's worth eh, you're really kind of one of the the premier og you know women black women athletes for rugby like in the u.s right um yeah i mean i do feel a responsibility you know and um you know i'm i'm open and giving to help and spread rugby amongst all people but yeah there is a calling there is an allegiance i feel like to um, invite young, I mean, especially the youth level, right? Young kids of color to the sport. Because I think that, especially in areas where, you know, I'm, I live in, in, in rural areas, like, I'm sorry, not rural, but in urban, um, you know, disadvantaged areas, like, you know, there's, there's several of those in New York City, right? Like the Bronx. Not all the Bronx, but in those areas, there are kids, there are young ladies who grew up in difficult environments, and they're trying to figure out a way to deal with this all of this aggression and anger that they feel, and 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 they at the same and we know what sport does for girls, right? How much it builds their confidence, their self-esteem, and it it number one it reduces the probability of these girls, you know having an early pregnancy um, and, and, you know, not graduating from high school, not going to college. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's very obvious that a sport like rugby is a perfect thing for a young, a, a young girl, right. To, to at least um, try, right. you know, and there are other sports, but there's something so obviously unique about rugby where you, you develop this toughness, you develop this grit um, and it also, it, 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 it's, it's a sport that requires you to be, you have to be smart to play. You, you can't be, you're just not going to do well and, and not, and I think everyone has a capacity to be smarter and to push their horizon. So it's not to be exclusive necessarily. But it's critical uh, thinking. But it's extremely critical thinking on the fly. Yeah. And so it'll, it'll, you know, it, it teaches kids those skills. It teaches young women of color those skills. Um, and it also allows for them to express themselves in a very kind of 
controlled yet violent way that right. they need to, right? And so when employed correctly, when done technically, when taught how to play properly, they have that opportunity, you know? Like I think any kind of physical exertion is going to allow you to just go and go. And that's the thing about rugby. Like you, no matter how hard you work, no matter how hard you run, you got to go back and you got to be able to replicate it. And in 80 minutes or even in a 14-minute in a sevens match, it's exhausting right. to go as hard as you can uh, for 80 minutes or for 14 minutes, right? So either sport, either, either, <clears throat> either you know, mechanism of rugby that you choose is going to be exhausted. So, um, it, and, it all, and again, it, it creates, it's, it's the environment and the culture that is cultivated within the rugby community um, that I feel is also extremely supportive for, you know, an at-risk, you know, African-American or, or, or Latina or, you know, just minority, minority female, minority males, you know, uh, Monroe College, right? It's, it's, a, it's a small private college. Uh, they have a campus in the Bronx and a campus in New Rochelle. But the mass majority of students that attend this college are African-American or Latino. And, they're, and a lot of those kids, and it's, you know, would probably otherwise not go to college, you know. And so they have, there's a community there that they can go. The, the school and the staff are extremely dedicated to these young folks. And they're very, they're very serious about creating a very challenging environment. Um, and bringing on the best people that they can to be a part of their staff and to be a part of their teaching, uh, their lecturing um, uh, community. And so um, it's, it's taking these kids and uh, explore these young people, women and men, and bringing them, you know, what they could get at, say, eh, I'm not going to say it, Monroe's not Ivy League, but I think of it as bringing kind of an Ivy League environment and opportunity to kids that may not be exposed otherwise right. and so yeah i think it's really important and part of the reason why i accepted this position at monroe was because i felt an allegiance to be to give back to and bring kind of the women of color to the well right let them drink the water let them figure it out for themselves and so yeah it's a huge part of of, of what i'm doing now and what I plan to do going forward. No, and I, I, I like that. You know, it was like I, I had the opportunity to go to Thailand uh, a couple months ago. And it was one of the things that I had noticed. Uh, I think one of the stories that I had, and I, I still got to get this video put together. But I was talking to uh, the, uh, the, one of the coaches for the Laotian team. A team that I, not in the largest of minds that I would have ever thought would have had a rugby team, let alone their women's national team. And right. I was talking to the uh, the captain for it, and she was pretty much talking about what you you had said is that development of confidence, uh, the ability to be able to do something that is so untraditional to right. what she's normally used to dealing with. Right. And it, it had me thinking where in in rugby, the the future in in my opinion the future of rugby has always been based around the concept that uh, what they do with the women's sport is going to be highly determinant on the success that it can do elsewhere. Like, the men's is always the men's, but you know what the thing is? With the men's, you you have so many sports that Absolutely. gather against that. But within Absolutely. the women's, you have a very unique ability to and, be able to take advantage of a market that is relatively untouched. And I, you, you're segueing into a point that I wanted to make, and I wanted to definitely get this out there. You know, 
Yes, rugby is a sport worldwide that has a unique opportunity. And what the U.S. possesses, and I, you know, I'm a newly elected board member, and one of my missions is to really help bring this and pick up the reins where Pam Kosanke left off, um, but to really be a huge advocate and activist um, and pioneer to make rugby equitable, right, mm-hmm. in the U.S., to bring some, you know, the bridge to disparity, because there is a disparity between right. the men's and women's uh, rugby, and to help the U.S. become the, 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 the mecca for equality in rugby, right. right? To provide those opportunities. And what has to happen, too, is there has to be a unique way of marketing right. women. Can't go about the same process. You can't go about the same channels and mechanisms that men's rugby does or men's sport in general does. Absolutely. It just doesn't. Yeah, it's not going to work. And and what that hopefully will do, it will encourage and, and, and in some way influence world rugby, you know, to take on the same, you know, the same, the same, you know, for, course of action. And they've done some things, right? They've, right. they've done some things. They're moving in that direction. Yeah. But it's it's to, for me it's just not happening fast enough, right? Like, it, it just needs to it just needs to happen. When you look at the and I don't mean to be critical, but if even you look at the World Cup and the amount of days that are allocated to a World Cup, and I know already the argument is, well, the women's World Cup doesn't bring in nearly as much money as the men's. Fair enough, but there hasn't been nearly as much energy put into the women's game That's as exactly. there has in the men's. There hasn't been that unique. Right marketing, you know, no one's going out and really working to try to figure out what it is, what is it going to be that really markets the women's game, right? What is it that's going to be the hook that pulls in all these corporate sponsors and it gets fans in the stands, you know? Um, and so you, you've got we've, what the national governing body, what the national governing body has to do and what the world governing body has to do it has to actually recognize this disparity. You take a look at the World Cup for men. Mm-hmm. The men's World Cup lasts over the course of a couple months. Right, the about women, a month and a half, yeah. month and a half, roughly. The women's is three weeks. Right. So we have to play, in terms of a player welfare, from a player welfare perspective, back we're playing every four days. Right. Which is not enough time to recover. Right. It's not enough time to really allow for that athlete to regenerate and come out 100% for that next game. And so just, just in managing these welfare issues um, in the women's game, there, there's got to be change, you know, and there needs to be change going into the – it's not going to change for 2017, but for sure 2021, there needs to be change. Right. There needs to be change in how, what, how we talk about rugby. We don't need to talk about, oh, well, that's women's rugby and that's rugby. It's rugby. Rugby is rugby. There's no women's rugby, men's rugby. Rugby is rugby. We play the same game. We play the same amount of minutes. We play in the same types of uniforms with the same size ball on the same size pitch, right? And we we acquire the same injuries, you know? So the games are played. Yeah, the women are a lot more technical because, they're, you know, it's, there's a slight difference there. But we're playing the same game, you know? So even when... Um, when talking about World Cup and when, you know, it's like everything you see is advertising for the Men's World Cup. Right. And you're starting to see more and more for Ireland 
but so it's very needs, small. It's still very, very small. very small. It needs to be twice as much as the men's World Cup. This is what I'm saying. Like there needs to, you have to bridge the gap first, and it doesn't mean that you prefer one over the other, but you have to acknowledge that there is a deficit. Right. And and you have to, uh, you know, you have to. If you're really looking to shape and change, right? You gotta be. You gotta get crazy with it. And and absolutely. and and honestly, that's one of the things. And, and to be honest with you, I think that's one of the things that has been dynamically contentious with me when it comes to rugby in the U.S. Not necessarily just U.S. rugby, but USA rugby, but rugby in the U.S. Yes. I've always felt that um, you know when it comes to how it's presented, there's a lot of deficits that go along with it. I like the concept that we had mentioned earlier. When we tell somebody, hey, what is rugby? Oh, rugby is compare one sport, compare a second sport, and now we created rugby. So now rugby is not so much the premier definition. It is the sublet of these two other sports that you can say is because they recognize it, but I've never heard anybody go, hey, what's basketball? Man, well, it's like soccer, but instead of you using your feet, you put it into a hoop above the air. Like, there's no there's no div- division. And when it comes with uh with just how it's all presented, I think there's this this traditional playbook. And talking about how you know rugby has this opportunity, I've always felt like, and and you know I'm testing the theory myself, obviously, but uh, I've always felt that with rugby you have an opportunity to win in one the digital game, two yes. the equitability game, and three the global game. The yes. only sport that really is a high end sport that has been winning globally is soccer. soccer and it's still really segmented to just the region of europe for the most part absolutely you know whereas you have like the nfl which is by far the richest sport in the world but knows that it needs to go global but has a hard time because it's not a transition to it um absolutely. also you don't have you have basketball there's two components that go with it you know, dynamically different. The rules differ for both the women and the men. Sure, they sure. differ. The rules differ internationally and such. And you know, obviously, with basketball, it built off of single individual stardom. You know, absolutely. NFL absolutely. built off of TV. MLB built off the stadium experience. So you have this opportunity with rugby to be like, look, we are. It's 2017, and and I feel like this is part of the reason why rugby hasn't been able to. At least in the U.S. And you know what? I'll say worldwide because, you know what? If you're not getting the biggest sports market in the world, I still think you're in a deficit. So within rugby, I've always felt, look, it hasn't had the generational opportunity to do what it needed to do because before it's either access, which is satellite, which not everybody wants to get. It was was equitability where in every sport there is at least a deficit. We have... Either women are just becoming refs in it or just becoming coaches in it or we have uh, the issue of access or there's always been something that preventive that rugby has always had, but it's never been able to really build upon it. Right. Uh, so then you, you, you take these facets and now you have an, an era where you no longer have to have satellite. All you need to have is internet and a strong enough uh set up and you can put together a production for sure. cheaper that will be capable to be seen by worldwide math at mass at any point in time at whatever wherever you want to do it the other part is what you said before you have two sets of women uh, you have two sets of of rugby that are both men and women's rugby that literally follow the exact same rule there's no handicaps whatsoever right. so you have an access that goes for both sides and then subsequently you have uh uh 
you know, the worldwide access that goes along with it. And Title right. IX has been amazing for Absolutely. U.S. Absolutely. But the, I feel the problem has always come down to the fact that, especially in the U.S., they use a European style of playbook to win, where it's it's always been, you know, a club or you hope to build by expat or you just have time. Like, really, right. it's just time. Like, you know, right. 120 years to be able to do rugby so that you Absolutely. finally can have that. So, right. you know, within within the U.S., I've always believed that, you know, it's it's a factor of collaboration. It's, it's taking the Southern Hemisphere style where you develop by the cultural environment that's there. You know, with the reason the All Blacks are probably easily the most casual, observing sports fan who would recognize anything rugby. The Hakka, which is the most culturally relevant, you know, action for uh, or representation of rugby is recognized because right. it is a culturally relevant concept and America right. has yet to pull that off. So, you know, yep. for you within the national, you know, national governing board and now being in this area where you get to be part of the people that are constantly hated on, constantly hated on now, yep. um, you know, what, what do you see uh, from, from these newcomers? Like, Cause I know it was like five of you that came in. All the three or five of you that came in all together, right? Well, there's two of us. Uh, Todd Clever and I were elected as the international athlete representatives, and okay. there are two board seats that are opening up. Right. Um, so the Congress will essentially, you know, place them uh, at the next Congress meeting. I think coming up in July. So you know, you know, I know that that um, you know I was on the Congress before I joined the board. Yeah. And um, I'm still. I mean, I'm brand spanking new. I haven't even put my feet in the water yet. So, but I know that, you know, there was, you know, there was this effort to move towards much more transparency. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I think that's an absolute must, right? And so um, I, I just, I look forward to, you know, adding my expertise from a legal perspective, from a player perspective, because I don't think, um, I think that having a voice from a current player perspective is really important, you know, and, um, and, and just, you know, making a difference, right? Like really connecting because I'm still, I feel like I'm still a part of the Congress on so many right. levels. And, you know, and so the Congress is, you know, they, they the, the relationship between the board and the Congress is that actually the Congress puts the board into in, in right. at work, right? They select the board members. So Congress is really kind of the overall boss. Right. The board kind of falls under that. But, um, yeah, it's to get in there and make a difference. It's to get in there and, 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 and share, you know, it, it's, there's always two sides to every coin. But, of course. You know, you've got you've to gotta, find out and figure out and fight the battles and fight the, the battles that are going to be more aligned with my mission, right? And so, you know, I have every expectation of, of, of affecting change on the board. Um, I think that they're moving in that direction. Um, I think that, you know, coming up for uh, the World Cup in 2018 in San Francisco, uh, what the U.S. is doing is they're bringing – they're bringing all teams together. Men and women are staying in the same hotels. There's no separate fields, separate hotels, separate amenities. Everyone's equal. So I think that's kind of a statement that 
the uh, USAR board is making, that USA Rugby is making right. to the world to say, look, you're coming to the U.S., this is the home of the, you know, although it's really not equal here, you know, we... <laughs> But, but you know what? Sometimes you got to put up put up right. a little bit of a shade so that you exactly. eventually exactly. But rugby is attempting to make it that way. And exactly. So you gotta you gotta praise in the, you know the the thing the good things that are happening, and you just gotta keep working at the things that need to change. And so that's the that's the mission. You know that's the mission. Yeah, I, I guess it, what I was trying to say is I, I can't wait to see that American stamp. You know that yeah. says this is. Our identity. It's still rugby, but this is our identity yeah. of rugby. It's not an expat version. It's not a, yeah. uh, you know, uh, South South Pacific light. It is, this is what we do. This is our confidence. Sure. And then present from there. Absolutely. You know, um, kind of just last questions, um, you know. As as you've and you mentioned this a little bit, as you've moved into this this more premier role, and you 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 again take on more responsibilities, you know what is it that you look for at least at at maybe not so much the national, but what do you look for from the the participants of rugby, whether fan or player? What do you hope that they will continue to do or they should do to be able to continue to help develop that 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 game? Now that you get the coach, the player the veteran player the national governing board member and etc from that perspective yeah it's just to keep you know uplifting the name keep coming to games get out to the support both national teams and local teams when you can like support your teams support the women's team you know support the men's team um do what you can just to be a model person i mean i think at the end of the day when you be when you're a model person and you're striving to be a really good human being, you know, it's hard to go wrong, right? right. And it, it transcends into every part of your life. Um, and so, you know, utilizing social media, um, subscribing to the rugby channel. I mean, I know it's $5 a month, right? Mm -hmm. So subscribe. It's five bucks a month. That's one beer less that you should drink a month for most of the fans. You and, have expensive and, beers, by the way. Um, yeah, I, I don't drink, so that tells you a lot. Right? So that's, a, that's a really, like, you could give up a, a, a half a six-pack or you know, whatever, right? But, but, you know, supporting the sport, right, in any positive way possible. And, and honestly, getting involved, right? Like, every person that's sipped is a USA Rugby member. Right. So get involved. Ask questions. Ask questions of the of the national governing body. If there's something that concerns you, ask questions. Demand answers and transparency because what that does is, for for a strong person and for a strong community, a group of people, it challenges them to be on their game, right. to be on their A game. For someone who's not strong and is just trying to, you know, milk the system for their own personal game, then yeah, they're not going to like that. And those aren't the people we want there anyway. So challenge, challenge, but also be ready to, 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 to be challenged and to give more, right? Support the sport. Support the sport. Just support the sport. Watch it when it's on television. Educate people in the general public, you know, um, and always just, you know, be the best representative of the game that you can, right? Be a good human being. You know, don't make don't make bonehead decisions. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, you know, respect it, respect it, maybe just just a little bit, just a tad bit. Respect yourself, right? So, yeah, that's that's what I have to say. That's awesome, Phaedra. I honestly, I could talk rugby to you for so long. Absolutely. You know, but uh, you know, I, I want to thank you again for just taking the time. I know, again, within your busy schedule, it, it's hard to find the moments, but I, I really do appreciate it. Absolutely, and I'd love to talk to you again whenever, whenever you have the time and want to engage. <laughs> All right, I appreciate. It. Yo, big shout out. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen. Of course, and always a big thanks to Phaedra. Uh, and, and you know, guys, keep up. You guys can still find her. Again, PSK Collective. Check out stuff. Women's apparel, women's sport apparel for women, because it's kind of redundant for me to have said it. But sports apparel for women of all sizes and, and kinds and a big advocate and activist across the board. Yo, you guys are going to love it. And definitely check out some of our other podcasts. Uh, Robbie Owens, we had last week, a.k.a. Squid Rugby, a great show we had with him. Before that, we had Karima Prince, the one of the co-founders of Prairie View A&M Women's Rugby, a.k.a. the very first HBCU women's rugby team of all time. We had the great Akinola Raymond of New York, uh, Rugby, uh, U- rugby United New York, and the great TikTok and Instagram social media star. Uh, we had Kirill Guthrie, president of the James G. Robertson and Pat Sullivan Foundation, creating, working to create HBCU rugby programs, one program at a time and helping to fund it out. We've had other greats, Erica Mori, former Italian women's rugby player and World Rugby Cup alumni, Nicolette Pantor of Trinidad and Tobago, Jess Nielsen, Keisha Ann Downs, a, uh, uh, vice president for Jamaica Rugby Union. We had Adam Milby, president of the Philippines Rugby Union. Warren Mullis and Preston Thompson of American Rugby Pod. You guys gotta love them. Toes on Tutu Conway. Gabby D- J. Pellegrini. Victor and Victor Ansima and Leonardo Crema of Curitiba Rugby. Got Ann Unwoosery of Black Girl, uh, Black Girls Rug Podcast. Yo, so much. Emilia Luciano, World Rugby Referee and uh, the Administrator for the Ivy League Rugby Union. Coma Gandy Fishbin, uh, part of the USA Rugby Board of Directors. We've had so many guests. Nia Tapper, Chetta Ember, Phil Field, uh, um, uh, Blake, Blaine Scully. Uh, just so many guys. You guys have Freddie Henry Ajuda of Nigeria Rugby, Pat Evans of Front Office Sports, Chisei Bailu of Pedal Lake. We have gotten amazing guests that you guys definitely want to go back and listen if you haven't had a chance. And if you have, definitely listen to it again because there's nothing wrong with getting it two or three or four times after. But most importantly, guys, I want to thank you and I hope that you know, I hope you're happy, I hope you're healthy, and I hope that you absolutely know that you are highly favored. Talk to you next time.